a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Well, almost. It is Inside Sources. It's not Boyd Matheson. Marty Carpenter sitting in for Boyd today while he's enjoying a slightly elongated holiday weekend. We're glad he gets a chance to go do that. Uh, Good conversation last segment with the president of the University of Utah, Taylor Randall. And let's shift gears a little bit uh, and, and talk about... Refugees. And Utah has been a leader, I think, nationwide in accepting refugees. And I think we do a tremendous job as a state in not only welcoming people, but helping them assimilate into our community and to feel at home here. Um, but there's there, there's sort of this national policy and then a state policy. And as a state, we want to welcome refugees. And, and as a nation, there are some things that we do and some that we could probably do better and some things that uh, that may need some, some tweaking on how we uh, – how we accept refugees into our community and how we make them part of the fabric of our community. The United States takes in tens of thousands of refugees. Um, we, we could take in a, tens of thousands this year, and that's following a record low last year. So while many people think we're making great strides in welcoming more refugees, there could be some issues that the U.S. government needs to iron out still. And we want to bring in an expert on this, uh, Danilo Zak from the National Immigration Forum in Washington, D.C., where he serves as a policy and advocacy manager. Danilo, thanks for taking some time with us today on Inside Sources. Hi, Marty. Thanks so much for having me. Thank, uh, can, can you give us some context, first and foremost? How many refugees is the U.S. slated to, to welcome this year? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's sort of two different numbers here. The first is the one that the administration, you know, President Biden, has set for the year. And that's sort of a ceiling. Uh, most administrations treat it as a target and, and try to reach that number of refugees. And the second number is, you know, how many refugees are we actually on track to resettle this year? And usually those are, you know, almost one and the same. Most of the time, uh, administrations are resettling just about the number of refugees they've set as the target uh, at the beginning of the year. This year, though, it's a bit different. So the Biden administration has set a a really ambitious and aspirational target of 125,000 refugees for this fiscal year. Uh, you know, we've, we've resettled more than that in the 80s under President Reagan. Uh, we resettled you know, well over 200,000 refugees. But right now, at least, we're only on track to resettle 13,700 refugees this fiscal year. Now, it's, it's early. The fiscal year just started in October. Uh, and there are some reasons why we, we haven't been quite at the pace that the administration set with its target of 125,000. But there's a lot of work to do. Uh, and we just got numbers for December and, and they sort of remain on this slower pace. So we're really looking to see how can we rebuild this program to one that, that can come close to that target. Uh, because, you know, as you mentioned, and Utah has been 
an incredibly welcoming state in this regard. But refugees make really significant contributions to the U.S. economy as entrepreneurs, consumers, essential workers. Uh, and it's important that we uh, resettle them and, and also help them integrate uh, into our communities. So the, the, the cap number around 120,000, we're about 13,000 into it. Give me some context for 2021. Was the cap as high and, and did we end up welcoming far fewer? Just help me understand some of the numbers there. Yeah, sure. So 2021, the cap, you know, 2021 started, at least fiscal year 2021, started in uh, October of 2020, which is how these things sometimes get confused. But yeah, so fiscal years are always the year that the, the number is the year that it ends, right? That the fiscal year ends. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yes, yes exactly. Um, and so sort of half under President Trump, half under President Biden. And President Trump had set the, the ceiling, the target at 15,000, which was going to be a historic low. And then President Biden initially, he had said that he was going to raise it sort of mid-year when he took office and then delayed for a little bit. And then finally, he did raise the ceiling to 65,000 last fiscal year. But ultimately, we only resettled about 11,000 refugees, which was a historic low. So and there were a number of problems. You know, one of the things with the refugee resettlement system that it's important to recognize is that. This process, while we may think of it as beginning when the refugee is resettled here, it actually begins years earlier. So, you know, most refugees need to be referred to the program while they're in a refugee camp, then go through what's really multiple years of security screenings and medical screenings, uh, you know, interviews, various checks, biometric uh, tests and things like that. That can take a couple of years. So when there's problems in that pipeline, and when the pipeline has been sort of decimated and backlogged, then even when a new administration comes in and says, we want to increase resettlement, it takes much longer than that. You know, there's a saying that it's easier to, to tear things down than to build them back up. And that's been largely true, I think, for the Biden administration. It's really been fits and starts rebuilding this program. And um, that's part of the reason why we had a historic low uh, resettlement number in fiscal year 2021. And, you know, really we're hoping, and there are some positive signs, that we can see a real increase here in, in fiscal year 2022. I think Utah is known and has a reputation for being a very welcoming state, particularly when it comes to refugees. Whether here in Utah or nationally for this answer, what do we need to do better when it comes to refugee resettlement, the entire process, either what regular folks can do to welcome people or just what the actual process is from a government policy standpoint uh, to help these refugees? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So, I mean, I think, as you mentioned, Utah is doing a great job. And really across the country, what we've seen is that local uh, you know, states and jurisdictions are doing a really wonderful job at welcoming uh, refugees who are being resettled. And, and also Afghans, you know, that's another part of the story with the Afghan evacuation. There were a lot of, you know, Afghan allies who had worked with the U.S. military who were evacuated and are now being resettled across the country, including uh, into Utah. They aren't technically refugees because they don't have the same uh, access to long-term status, which is a, an issue that we're working on. But, um, you know, Utah and, and other jurisdictions have been really good about that. To me, this is more of a, a national problem where we need to do a better job you know, building up some domestic capacity to resettle refugees. That means helping to fund some of these resettlement agencies that are really uh, overworked and, and lacking capacity currently to resettle folks. But it also means, you know, 
surging resources and staffing to the key agencies who are helping to process these refugees overseas, you know, addressing some of the delays in the system. Um, you know, there are fewer refugees who even have access to the refugee pipeline these days. And, and we need to do a lot of work to help rebuild this program overall so that we can increase those numbers uh, back to where they were, you know, in the 1980s when this refugee resettlement program was started under President Reagan. Can you give me and our audience an idea, uh, just some context, really, of how well the United States does compared to other countries? I, you know, we, we, we always get uh, faulted for that, that we have a very U.S.-centric uh, view of the world. And so we know, OK, there's a problem in Afghanistan and we're going to welcome refugees here. How do we do, you know, even in, a, in sort of a weighted grade compared to other countries based on their size and, and how welcoming they are uh, to, to refugees? Yeah, that's a great question too. So, the you know it's good that you mentioned the weighted grade aspect of things because U.S. has historically been a real leader in refugee resettlement, um, and that remains true today. However, especially when you consider the size of the U.S. and and the fact that we have so much capacity to to welcome folks, um, in, in in terms of per capita refugee resettlement, we aren't doing as good a job as a Canada, for example, as many other you know countries in Europe. Uh, in Germany, for example. So, um, and, and we've been slipping a little bit in that regard. So while we used to be, you know, just a leader in refugee resettlement, both in terms of also per capita, now we're starting to slip, especially over the last four or five years. And, you know, this has been sort of a, a long-term trend where, you know, under the Obama administration, we resettled about 6,000 refugees a month. Under the Trump administration, it was about 2,000 a month. And so far under the Biden administration, and again, part of this has been just a difficulty in rebuilding the program, it's only been about 1,000 refugees a month who have been resettled. And so we're, we're looking forward to, to 2022, where we can build back up to three or 4,000 a month. That will be a sign that we're you know, regaining our position on the world, world stage as sort of a beacon for those fleeing persecution mm -hmm. and really you know, moving towards rebuilding this refugee resettlement program towards something that can really respond to the needs of the world's most vulnerable and to the needs of our own communities who, where we're in need of, uh, you know, workers and entrepreneurs um, and, you know, really valuable parts of, of the communities that these refugees always become. Right. Uh, Danilo Zak from the National Immigration Forum in Washington, D.C. Thanks so much for your time today. Appreciate it. Thank you. When we come back, Senate races across the country are heating up, but uh, what will it take for both Republicans and Democrats to win in November, Inside Sources sat down with David Byler from the Washington Post. We're going to hear what he had to say right after this. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. 
now available anywhere you get your podcasts.